It's time now for questions, but it's also a time with anybody would like the book. Most of what I have thrown on the screen are in the book. It's difficult to <laughs> you know, grasp so much of stuff at one sitting. So it is in the book. Like I said, uh, whoever will help, you can if you want, pick the books. But in the meantime, let's close formally our session. Anybody can leave if they want to leave. We are now going to have the Q&A session. There were some, there was a hand here. The question is at what exact time did Jesus come back to life? It's an interesting question, but personally, I don't know. All I know that he rested on that seventh day and by the time early morning of the first day came, he was arisen. Their tomb was empty. I have no idea when exactly it took place. The fact is, it really doesn't matter in one sense. It really doesn't matter. Are we... No other questions? Comment. Okay, so your comment is that really there may not be too many questions because it, it goes from one step to another and it is uh, reasonable and you make a conclusion that makes good sense. Uh, thank you for that comment. This is the reason why I am a one-man mission to the world. When you finally come to the truth of a matter where the weight of evidence points very strongly, it is difficult to hold yourself back. For eight years I have been doing this. I have been to five continents. Alone. I'm a one-man ministry. If they don't pay, I have to pay my way there. But I am going to the world. That's my mission. And my focused mission is the secular university campuses. Because that is where atheism and evolution comes like a tidal wave. And every believer is pushed with his back against the wall cannot do anything about the jeers and the taunts that he faces and he gives in. We've seen it. I've also seen something else, I'll coming to you. That when this message comes to the heart, that student becomes unstoppable. Because this is not to do with just a belief now, my friends. It has to do with faith. 
Faith is not something vague and nebulous like a cloud. Faith is a form of conviction and a conviction must be based on evidence. And when you place the evidence, you're not telling the person to have faith, you're just giving them a basis to have faith. And when you have a basis to your faith, believe me, your faith is strong. And that's why my whole <laughs> mission, yes? In your secular audiences, what seems to be the most question that comes up the most? In, my, in the secular? Yes, it's the most often asked question. There are, uh, actually there are uh, a so spectrum of them, for instance. The one that comes up the most? Yeah. One of the usual ones is, uh, well, the Bible was written, but you know, some people formed the New Testament. Not God, because the Apocrypha is also there. And how do we know that, you know, that, that set of books are the inspired word of God? That's one of the questions they often ask. Because if that's not answered, then, then all this story is, all we are saying is hoax. But when you go back to it being a, a historical piece of literature which has marks of being historical, then it's very difficult to throw it away. You should not, as an inquirer, a fair inquirer. You had your hand up. Well, it, yes, the question is, what was the most common question you had in a secular setting? And I said the most common one was, how do we know that the Bible is actually the composite of these books? Because a group put them together. So how do we know that it is the thing? There's the Apocrypha too and some other, other Gospels. So, if they clash, then what? It is actually the question of what we scholars call inspiration. The word inspiration is the question of, of having something breathed, and that's how it is supposed to be. It's an influence that comes on. How do we know that these guys were influenced, not somebody else? That's the question, really. Now, the common... The common... Uh, idea is that there's a bunch of people who got together sometime in the third and fourth century and they decided which books will form say the New Testament for instance. That is only partly true. The truth of the matter really is that that group did not choose. That group put together what the historical community had already chosen for hundreds of years. Now we have to ask whether the historical community, which is mainly the Jews, whether they were okay in choosing these people. We don't want Isaiah, we want somebody else, but the Jews want Isaiah. So can we ask the Jews, how come you chose Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and not some of the other guys? Because in your own Old Testament, you have prophets. Yeah, and some of their false prophets. 
So how do you know these guys are true? Really, I don't. But I do know that the community accepted these people as the true prophets of God, not only because they chose them, but because they were able to choose others who were not prophets of God. Did you catch that? Not only was that community able to choose which was the prophet of God, because the whole community accepted, for instance, Isaiah and Jeremiah, this is the word of God. And somebody else, no, this is not the word of God. How did they know? I'm not exactly sure how did they know, not know, not know. But in their own writings, for instance, in the apocryphal period, the 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have the Maccabees, for instance. In the writing, which is a historical piece of writing, the Maccabees, you hear one of them clearly writing and saying, the voice of God has been stilled among us. The voice is no longer heard among us. Friends, there were prophets in those days, but they were not counted voice of God. So they knew who they would place their, their, their vote on. They knew. Whatever the criteria, there are some criteria. For instance, the person must say that this is the word of God. He must be able to stand up and say, because there was a, a punishment on pain of death if you say this is the word of God and they find out it is not. So they had to be really careful to say this is the word of God. So one of the criteria was this person must say, this is the word of God I am bringing to you. Your life must be somewhere in line. You can't be running around on the gambling table and saying, I'm bringing the word of God to you. No. Your life must be somewhere there. Once you say something as a prophet, if it has predictive value, it must come true. And so many of these prophets made prophecies which were within the few years that they were alive and they say, hey, there it is. So they knew that he was speaking the truth. So there were many of these criteria, but it was the community that decided, the historical community over hundreds of years that decided which were the books to be put in. This committee just looked at all of those and compiled them. The committee did not decide. So if you really look back, it would have been the inspiration that decided it, not a human element. Although there was the human involved. But questions cannot be completely settled. There was a question here. What did you mean by that? You dealt so well with the, the reasoning. The yes. Yes. If this is the place to ask that question. It is. What has been your personal heart experience? And you may, I'll leave it at that. It's a very personal question. Yes. And you're asking in a public forum. But the person who decides to speak in his name, there should be no difference between a private question and a public forum. Here's what I will tell you. There is a message that came 
from the supernatural world. From that angle, that mind that looked upon the human race decided there was something wrong. I was part of that wrong. And if it was a diagnosis that he made, then it is useless to make a diagnosis without the therapy. He put together the most ingenious plan that my mind can possibly think. And it was on paper for a long time, as it were. Finally, he executed it. I hang my eternal destiny on him. Yes, it is very logical. But the Greeks had a way of deciding what would be truth. They said, truth the closest you can get to truth as a human being are three. Logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos, we use the word word, but actually it means credible information, evidence. Ethos, a honest and open interpretation of those facts. And pathos, it must involve your whole being, including your emotions and your conscience. There is only one message I have found that does all three. It is centered around the one who hung there. Yeah, it, it's very logical and it's very easy as a human being to be smart and say, here's my logical sword. I can cut down all of your things. You Hindus, you can go. You Muslims, you can go. I can stand here. But you will spoil every last bit of the message if you ever become proud. Or if you ever start producing the whole thing as if it's only a smart, logical explanation. It means nothing, my friends, if it's logic. It will mean everything if it is a truth that has gripped your heart. And there's nobody who knows more how unworthy I am of that than the one who has looked at it and compared your own life to his life. Man, you are flattened out. But that does not mean you cannot speak for him. The most unworthy can become the most willing. Yeah, that's... I will gladly say it in public or in private. Thank you for your question. And my name? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a question of yoga. The word yoga is very much bantered around these days, right? Yoga class here and a yoga class, then you sit like this and you, you'll have good breathing techniques and you'll have peace of mind. You know, yoga has more than one facet to it. And we should recognize this. 
yoga is not just breathing, controlled breathing, although we do have controlled breathing in other things than yoga. It's not just positions and, and uh, exercises. Yoga is very, very specific. There are different levels of yoga. What we do is not yoga at all. What we do are the exercises that we extracted from yoga. The word yoga is a person who is a devotee. A yogin, they call them. They are devotees. And as a devotee, you must start from one yoga and go to the next and to the next and to the next until your whole mind merges with the mind of Brahma, who is the creator God. There are three gods of the Hindus, triune God, like the Christians have, the Hindus have. Brahma, the creator, Shiva, the destroyer, and, and Vishnu, the preserver. Yoga is to condition yourself so that you empty your mind. So all those positions are meant so that you can do yoga to condition, open your mind so that you can have contact with the information that comes from there and the information takes you directly to Krishna, the eighth incarnate of the god Vishnu. And you can then get connected to him and when you die and you uh, go to your next birth and the next birth and finally you reach the place where your Atma, which is spirit, is now merged with the Paramatma or the big spirit Mahatma and that is Brahma and you come together and that is Nirvana. Yoga is to step one, two, three towards Nirvana and to Nirvana so that your Atma, your spirit will merge with the divine spirit which is Brahma. It is not just exercises. Exercise is not at all yoga. It's a misnomer. But many times you'll have this kind of music and you know the, the incense and all burning on those places that is meant to shift your eyes and your mind towards that. The early yoga is dharma yoga and then finally is the bhakti yoga in which you devote yourself completely. So that is true yoga. The quest these things out here, I don't know. I have not been to many of them. To the ones I have been to, sometimes it's just a misuse of the term. This exercise is not yoga. Sometimes it is yoga. They want you to understand Krishna and Rama and whoever the, the gods are, especially Vishnu. Scientology, yes, sir. Uh, again, yeah, the question of Scientology is very interesting for the simple reason that it's a theory. It's a theory that they say is actually practical, and that is why what you're saying: the mind will be a part of the process. In the end, you must give over your mind to the process. You don't retain the faculties that you had before going into the process. You, uh, you, you give it over. Money oriented too, right? 
Well, Shall I be honest with you? It is the bane of every religion, including Christianity, including SDA. Yes, sir. Don't follow people. Follow the truth of the matter. You will find this twisting and turning in every, every belief base you have. Some of my friends just, just throw away Christianity. Sometimes I talk to my friends who are not believers. They just throw it away and say, look the lousy people you have. I say, wait a minute. Which belief system does not have lousy people? Show me one. Not a single belief system in this world will stand if you look at the nasty behavior of people. I learned that very early when I was searching. So I stopped looking at people's behavior. I started looking at what they were saying would make me fall in line with what their teaching is. If I fell in line, then what would happen to me? That is more important than there. Money, my friends, is everywhere. It's just rampant. That's why you have what I described on Friday night. Utter dishonesty when it comes to religion. Everywhere. From the bishops, to the pastor, to the priest, to the mullahs, to the monks, they will bluff you wholesale. Don't get bluffed with them. We've got a written word. If you want their writing, then go to their writing, but at least choose between their writings. Don't listen to people. If you listen, give it their due respect and then bring it to the written word. If you ask me honestly, I'll give you another honest answer. And I've been to scores of universities now. There really is no difference on a university campus between a secular university and so-called religious universities. The atheism is as rampant. So let's not fool ourselves. Why is it rampant? Are we saying that it's bad? No. This is a real question in every young person's mind, whether you go to a secular university or whether you go to a religious university. You're still battered with this question. Is there finally a God in existence? Come on, tell me. And, you're, and, and, and especially in a university that is religious, hey, you're in university, buddy. You're not in elementary school. You can't ask that kind of a question. Come on, talk about the sanctuary service. Talk about the state of the dead, man. What are you talking about? But you know, in every mind, there is such a horrible question there. Nobody wants to even address it. And you don't know where to turn to because they laugh at you. And the, and, the, and the atheist is ready to just smack you over. Yeah, that's what happens in the secular universities. And there's no difference. So how shall we deal with this? Number one, find out a way in which you can get convinced yourself. If you are not convinced, it is not fair to convince anybody else. Tell somebody else only that which you are convinced about. And don't fool yourself that you are convinced when you are not. 
If you are not convinced, you have a question, then keep it as a question, go look for it, ask around, study, read until you come to a place where you say, man, I think I've got a handle at least on this. At least I know that I don't know. It's very important. And that's why when he asked that question, I said, I don't know. Yeah, we should not be afraid of saying, I don't know. Because I don't know is the first step to I know. I will get to know. If you say, I, I know without, when you don't know, you will never get to the I, I might know. That's why one of the first steps we saw last night was, you should be honest. Don't fool around. So how shall we deal with this? Look for it. Grapple with it honestly. Like your life depended on it. Because your life does depend on it. So get to that, that foundation. I fear, but I'm not afraid really. Right now, we are very weak. The Christian message is weak only because we don't have this foundation. Why was the early Christian church strong? Because you can, you can read the record, right? Very strong. Why? One of the reasons was that they were able to meet the people one-on-one -on -one at the same point of reference. In those days, the point of reference for, say, let's say Peter, and the disciples stood on the day of Pentecost. Their point of reference was the Old Testament. You believe in the Old Testament? I also believe in the Old Testament. Let's go to see there. Jesus is recorded in the Old Testament. Today, people will throw out the Old Testament. They'll throw out the Bible. They'll throw out the idea of God itself. So where is the point of reference now? The only point of reference now in the secular setting is reason, logic, evidence. There is no other setting. You can't go and say, this is the word of God. Let's say, to egg with you. This is not the word of God. I am the word of God because I can decide. So you have to come to a point where you, and like we said last night, the place where you do it is to invite the person to become an inquirer with you. If they don't want to become an inquirer, you can't do a bean about it. All you can do is then kneel and pray. Because just like you became an inquirer, not because you were so smart, but because God worked on you. That's why you became an inquirer. That's when I became an inquirer. So if that other person has to become an inquirer, then he's not, he's being so stubborn and so tight and so... Pray about it. But don't go arguing when you don't have a place of common ground. Otherwise it'll be not a dialogue, but two monologues going on. And you cannot meet. But recently, let me give you an example. Recently I spoke in Sacramento and there was one of the students from UC Davis and she was, you know, man, this makes good sense. So she went to class and uh, it was the end of the speech class. So she was supposed to make a speech and in this case, it was supposed to be a persuasive speech. That was the assignment to the whole class. 
So she emailed me and she said, this professor is an adamant atheist who constantly says in his class about how atheism is the way to go. And but he has allowed us to choose a persuasive topic. I am going to choose the topic, there is a God. What shall I do? And she said, you know, from where I got my gumption, because you ran the seminar and I can stand in front of my professor now. She went to that class. I gave her some tips and she said, can I do this? And I said, yep, go ahead and do. A week later, I emailed her and said, what happened? She said, you won't believe. I went to the class and mine was the last speech of the day. So we had a longer Q&A period. Every speech had Q&A periods. Hers was the longest Q&A period. And she said, the whole class sat down and talked about atheism and theism and, and science and there was no animosity in between at all. We, we all agreed that even science you have to believe. And then she had walked down to the, the cycle stand where she was going to ride her home and her professor came by. And the professor said, you did a good job. And then he stood there and he said, I am struggling. I was brought up as a Catholic and for 13 years everything was twisted tight. When I broke loose, I went to the other side and I am still an atheist, but hmm, I am struggling. And then this girl she emailed me and said, then it dawned on me, and this is the point I'm trying to come at, not what they, the professor said, what she said. She said, now it dawned on me that he was not the adamant atheist that I thought he was. He was just a child of God struggling. It changes your whole attitude when you are strong. If you are weak, you will pull out your sword to fight. But when you are strong, you let the spirit do the work. And I've seen it over and over again. This is just one. And it happened just a month or two ago. Went to class, speech class. So you can have any number of <laughs> ways of doing it. Any other questions? Yes. Um, you're probably familiar with uh, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens and his uh, adamant arguments that there, there was no God. But when he was asked about about Jesus, the existence of Christ, he he came to the conclusion, or at least what he was saying is that that he was having doubts that he. Oh. How would you, have you heard that yes, yes, that's a big topic. That's a huge topic. In fact, it's not just <laughs> Hindus. Like I said, there's no difference between a religious institution and a Christian or an SDA institution. I bet there are hundreds on this campus who will still be asking that question. How do I know Jesus really lived on this earth? Because the number of 
um, a question that people say, hey, he, this is just mythological. He was just a myth. He was a made-up story, right? And that is why, you, to me, when I ask the question to myself, now here I'm asking the question, the question to myself, how do I know that Jesus lived on this earth? Because if he didn't live, then this all is a big hoax. So, first, do I want to know? Or do I want to stick to my stand that he was not a historical figure? So again, I have to ask myself, do I want to know the truth of the matter? Number two is, once you ask yourself, then you have to lay down certain criteria yourself. What is the criteria that you will lay down to say that he was historical and he was not? And the most important criteria that I have found, or the people who object to anything from the Bible, is that don't tell me from anything from the Bible. Show it to me from secular history, that he was a, sec, uh, uh, a person. Because I will believe secular history more than I will believe the Bible. Because the Bible, well, you know, circular reasoning. The Bible believes in Jesus. He'll have to say he agreed and he, he lived. But show me from secular history. And that is where then it took me, my question. Do we find secular history ever mentioning Jesus? And there is. There is in Roman history some of these um, rulers who would report to Caesar, who would write about this group of Christians who pray to Jesus. In the third century, I think it was Hadrian, who said that we have a story in our records of a person who would heal the sick and, you know, the blind and all that. So we do have that. We have the Jewish historian, Josephus, who clearly mentioned Jesus. And he, in his history, describes the stoning of James, who he describes as the brother of Jesus. The only Roman record of Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the only historical record we have is just a small slab and of all the things about Pontius Pilate, it says Pontius Pilate put Jesus to death. This is secular. So there is sufficient evidence. You would not expect an encyclopedia on Jesus who was only an itinerant preacher. He was not a general. He was not a king. He was not an emperor. Emperors, we have only one lines. This man, we have a whole page. So, it, there is enough evidence to tell us that what was happening, most probably, was the truth of the matter. Then, of course, what we just saw, the fact of the Christian church. You cannot have a Christian church, which is the largest body of believers today, two billion in number, Believing a complete hoax. The third one is what Alvin Platinga, one of the most revered philosophers in the US today, said, there are levels of truth. And sometimes when we are convicted of a certain truth, you can take that to be valid. 
So when a Christian, and he was looking at a Christian and the others, so when a Christian says that Jesus lived long ago and he also rose from the dead and he has a real living influence in my life today by which I know that he is alive, then you cannot dismiss it. You must prove it wrong, but you cannot simply dismiss it. And if 500 people say the same thing, then less chance for dismissal. If a billion people say 2000 years later that he is alive, I know it because he speaks to me in those wavelengths which I call speaking to my heart, then Alving Platinga says that you cannot dismiss that as a hoax. You might prove it maybe later on as a hoax, but right now you have to take it as being a, a level of evidence. So there is an evidence and this, by the way, is the only religion that has its founder still alive. So for a person to say he's still alive, it takes something, unless he's completely off his rockers. But when you look at the people who are saying it, the spectrum is too difficult to knock everyone as off their rockers. They're some of the greatest scientists in the world. The statesmen in the world, and you can't see them being unbalanced. They can describe to you reason and logic and mathematics and science. So how come on this one point they are so deluded? So if you want to really call it a delusion, you must have a better reason than just calling it a delusion. Look for a good reason and you really can't find it. So Alvin Platinga says that that is enough, good enough, even in our philosophical world to accept that there is something going on here. You may not prove it, but there is something going on here. When a person says he's alive, because I know it. You know what I mean? A witness says, I know it. He's alive. He gives me strength. He gives me peace. He gives me a stability in life. And how can you disregard that? Alright? Okay. I guess we have reached the end and so we will close honestly with prayer now. You know, when I go to these universities, I don't start with prayer because it's offensive to, the, to a person who doesn't believe. But when we come to the end and I say, let's have prayer, everyone stands up. And this is, I think, of course, we don't usually clap because we are so conservative. But they, in every secular university, I have always had applause when I finished. In fact, when I was in Arkansas, there were five atheistic professors sitting in the front row who engaged me in a two-hour debate on evolution. I didn't talk about evolution, but it, that's also what we have to deal with. At the end of the two hours, these five atheistic professors turned around to the audience and said, let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. But as soon as they... <laughs> Now you're making me go to the next step. As soon as I hear applause, I say, wait a, wait, wait a minute. When Kip Kino, 
the long distance marathon runner was running the second consecutive marathon in the Olympics. Nobody had won the Olympics two times in a row in the marathon. When Kip Kino entered the stadium, two minutes ahead of his nearest rival, 100,000 people stood to their feet and applauded. And my question to you, were they applauding the timekeepers? Were they applauding the nation that was or had organized the Olympics? Who were they applauding? Kipkino. Because he was the champion. Keep your applause for the champion. Amen. Let's pray. God, real, true, authoritative, majestic God. And yet we have found that you are tender-hearted, considerate, understanding. What a combination. We are overwhelmed, God, but we do recognize that without that combination, we would not have a chance in the world. Thank you for not only paving the way for us, but leaving all the evidences so that 2,000 years later, we today can look at these evidences and be joyful that these evidences stand the scrutiny of any reasoning mind. Father, we thank you for creating our minds that way and for giving us the evidence that you do exist, you love us, you have sent Jesus with an with an amazing, amazing plan to pick us back from where we were as a human race and take us back to your fold. We have heard these words in the last few days, yesterday and today. We ask that those words, you will take away the human element, especially mine, from those words and give those words the truth and the force of truth that it really deserves. And may we be strong for you, Father, for the tidal waves are coming, we know. Keep us strong, keep us grounded. May we always lift you higher in our lives. Where we have failed, we are sorry. We fail you so many times, we have failed you so many times. But right now, Father, we are happy that we are in your fold as your children. Thank you for a wonderful message. Thank you for the great God that you are. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.